Welcome to Canvas Church. You are listening to our weekly celebration service message. Thank you for tuning in. How you doing this morning? We live in the greatest city in America, maybe the world. Right? Even if there were no grunions. This week, um, Friday night late, Saturday morning early, went and did a, a grunion run. Anybody done that before? Does anyone not know what a grunion is? It is not a Pokemon. Hey, Halls, good to see you. So uh, we heard about this thing only happens in Southern California, a grunion run. And they knew months ago, maybe years ago, the exact dates that the grunions would come up on uh, onto the beach in Coronado and all through Southern California. They knew August 3rd through 7th, but especially the 4th and 5th at 12.30 a.m., there's going to be grunions. So we drove out to Coronado. We called some friends. Um, Kim and Tom were there, and the Cabrals were there with their kids, and Ashley and the Sanchez crew, and a bunch of us in the middle of the night went to get our grunions. And as we drove through Coronado, we passed, I tell you, Nalaya, at midnight, hundreds and hundreds of people hunting Pokemon. It was the weirdest thing. Honestly, one of the strangest things ever to experience. And we got out there, and by 1 a.m., we gave up on the grunions. And, um, but I just stopped for a minute, and I looked around and saw these people that uh, we've been doing life with for a long time. Uh, and there was a season in my life where I thought, and I'll get to tell this whole story someday, but there's a season where I thought, man, I don't get to do relationship with these people anymore. And I was very sad. And um, on the beach this weekend at 1 a.m., I looked around me and just saw... Man, God is good. Taste and see. Then Saturday morning, I'm at the Chargers fan day at the stadium. Anybody else there? Anybody love the Chargers? Okay. Hey, come on. Super Bowl this year. We got it. Hey, don't doubt. Um, there again with friends and just blessed this weekend and now standing here this morning speaking to you. Uh, just tasting and seeing that the Lord is good right? My beautiful family right there. Come on. God's been good to me, and I feel bad for anyone who is not me. Amen. Hey, today we're going to talk about love. I want to say everybody say love, but Christy told me that's a very youth pastory thing to do, so I'm not going to do it. Um, everyone in your mind right now, think about a love song, would you? Maybe it's a song from your engagement. Maybe it's a song from the fourth grade when you had that crush. Let's just go back in time. Think about a love song. Everybody got one? Does everybody have a love song in mind right now? Are you, I'm not sure. Do you have one? Okay, cool. Now here's what we're going to do. On the count of three, I want every one of you to sing that love song. If you're a visitor with us, you get a pass. You can whisper it. And... Um, we're going to sing that out. If you're single, this could be your opportunity. I'm just saying, look for a little eye contact, right? Okay, are you ready? You got your song? One, two, don't leave me hanging. Three, here we go. All right, that's enough. That's plenty. That's beautiful. All right, show of hands. How many of you just found your future spouse? Okay, no. Show, okay. 
show of hands, how many of you, the theme of that song was how much you, as the singer of the song, loved the other person? Show of hands, help me out. That's a very tricky question. Let me try to rephrase. How many of you sang a song that talked about how much you love someone? Is that better, Petra? All right, how many, show of hands. Okay, how many of you sang a song about how the other person's love affects you? Okay, cool, one, two, three. I did up here, I already, I had a head start because I knew what the question was gonna be. Uh, I sang, you make me feel like a natural woman. Um, might be the only time a male pastor has sung that on the stage, I don't know. Um, but there re- there's a reason I sang it. We're gonna talk about love. Today, I'm not going to make you sing anymore, although I may sing some more. 1 Corinthians 13, everybody knows it, right? The love chapter, it talks about the attributes of love. Um, But I want us to go to 1 John 4, verse 10, which talks about the definition of love. 1 John 4, 10. This is love. 1 John 4, 10, if you're still turning there, you've got your Bible app. This is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us. This is the definition of love, not that God loved you. Wait, (laughs) not that, Woo! sweet Lord, help me. Not that we love God, but that he loved us. So when we sing songs to God, it's okay to just sing about, you make me feel, maybe not that particular song, but it's okay to sing because really our love towards him is is founded in his love towards us. How many note takers in the room today? All right, we got some note takers. You're going to have a hard time today. Um, You you may struggle to find notes. I'm going to help you and give you a a little bit of a head start. First of all... um, Just draw a line across the top of your page if you're taking notes. This is a blank that you're going to fill in at some point with the name of the most important character in the story that I'm going to tell you today. The most important character. And if you think you know it before we're done, just go ahead and fill it in. If you're not taking notes today, just fill in that blank up here, and then nobody can hold you to it if you you guessed it wrong. Okay. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much that you're here this morning, that uh, your love is here this morning, that you want to speak to, encounter, love on people today. I pray that your word would come forth with clarity, um, that I wouldn't get in the way, but would amplify your message today. We love you. In the name of Jesus, everybody said. Okay, note takers, I'm going to front load the rest of this for you. Psalms 139, write down Psalm 139. The rest of you just hang out for a second. Romans 8, 38. Romans 8, 38 and 39. John chapter 13 through 19. It's just seven chapters, guys. It's cool. We're going to walk through that today. Say it's just seven chapters. Okay. And then Ephesians 3, 17 through 19. I'm not even going to talk about that today, but if you're coming back to these for devotions, dive into that. That's good stuff. Okay. Let's go to uh, John chapter 13, and I'm going to summarize because it's seven chapters, and we don't have that kind of time this morning. Uh, Essentially, what's happening in John 13, it's the Last Supper. You all have seen the painting, right? It's all the disciples around Jesus. 
John is just kind of like leaned up, nuzzled in right there close to Jesus. Peter's somewhere at the table. Judas is there like kind of shifty-eyed, looking around like, oh, man, right? Hoping he doesn't get busted. You with me? And um, this is the night that Jesus would be arrested, uh, the night that he would be put on trial, and the night before the morning um, that Pilate would have his encounter with Jesus, and eventually late that next morning, Jesus would be put on the cross. So we're going to talk about Peter and John. Now, both of them are part of Jesus' squad, right? They're part of his posse. They're part of the three, Peter, James, and John. They were the closest to him. They're around him uh, more than any of the other disciples. And as they're sitting around this table, I just want to give us a little bit of backstory on both of them. So John, and we're reading out of John, you know what he always calls himself, right? The disciple who Jesus loved. Don't you love that? He doesn't mention himself by name. He just says, I'm the disciple who Jesus loved. I try to get this, this same thing into my kids, and they're, they're on to me now, but forever. Jensen, who's my favorite kid? Okay, yeah, he knows now. But there was a time when they were young enough that I had each one of them convinced that they were my favorite, and I would ask him in secret, who's my favorite? And they'd be like, I am, and that's right. And that's how John saw it. I'm his favorite. I'm the one that he loves. A little backstory on Peter. Now, Peter, Jesus says, hey, come out to me on the water. What does Peter do? Boom, he steps out of the boat. Peter's the guy that at the transfiguration when Moses and Elijah are appearing there, he's like, hey, I'll build a house for you right here. You guys can live here. That's Peter. He's this guy who's just like, God, I want to show you what I can do for you. I can do anything. I'll jump out of the boat. I'll build a house. I'll do anything. I identify with Peter. And so as the night unfolds and we go uh, a few chapters in, we see that, that Jesus begins to wash their feet. So it's this last night. Jesus knows he's about to be arrested. He's modeling this servant leadership that he came to serve. And so he goes to wash feet. And as far as we know, he washes John's feet. And John just accepts it. He gets to Peter. He's got the towel. He's got the basin. He's ready to wash Peter's feet. And we know Peter isn't just going to stand there and, like, just let Jesus wash his feet. And so, of course, he says, never what he says. Never. You will never wash my feet, Jesus. Okay. And Jesus says, hey, if I don't wash your feet, then I'm not going to be a part of you. You won't be a part of me. And Jesus says, okay. And there's obviously like some metaphorical, allegorical stuff going on there about Peter accepting what Jesus came to serve him to do. But in that moment, then Peter says, okay, don't just wash my feet. Wash my hands. Wash my head. Wash my feet. Right? He's like, just do it all. That's Peter. He's this all or nothing. Like, just walk, dump the whole tub. I don't care if John's foot stuff is on there. Just dump it on me. That's Peter. Just give it all to me. That's Peter. And then as the night progresses further, Jesus says, hey, somebody's going to deny me. Sitting around the table again, Judas is all kind of shifty-eyed, like hoping he doesn't get caught before his time comes. And um, I don't know if he was shifty-eyed, but that's how I imagine. I imagine him kind of like uh, uh, Mr. Deeds, like crazy eyes. Does anybody remember? That's what I imagine Judas as. So they're all at the table, and Jesus says, hey, somebody's going to deny me. And we know from the other Gospels, uh, which expound on this a little bit more than John does, that Peter says, it won't be me, not me. 
I was going to build a house for you. I walked on the water. I wanted you to dump the whole thing on me. I'm Peter. I love you more than anybody loves you. I will not deny you. He says, I'll go to jail for you. I go to prison for you. I would die for you, but I won't deny you. You know what John did? John's just chilling next to Jesus. He just knows that Jesus loves him. He's, John's, not, John's not standing there saying, God, I'll give everything. I'll die for you. I'll stay with you. I'll stand with you. I don't care. He's just chilling, just accepting the love of Jesus, the one that he knows loves him. If you could sum it up in a song, it's like Peter is there just singing, Lord, I give you my heart, Jesus, everything. I give you my soul. I live for you alone. See, Jesus, I don't even live for me one little bit. I live for you alone. Every breath that I take, and he's like, Jesus, every moment I'm aware, every single moment, right? Have your way in me. And then John is over there just chilling. He loves me. Oh, how he loves me. Oh, how he loves me. Or maybe he was singing that old um, Jewish song that we know that goes, Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Torah tells me so. Something like that, right? He's just there, just accepting the love of God. He knows. He doesn't have anything to prove. I got to be honest with you. Lord, I give you my heart is a song that I really love. I got to confess to you, I identify more with Peter than I do with John. And I've spent 30 some odd years, I'm not telling you how many, sharing the message and living the message of the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love God. Love people. Give him everything you got. God, that's me. Lord, I give you my heart. Even if I do a mic check, Kim will tell you, that's the only song I sing. I give you my soul. That's me. I want to please him. I want him to know how much I love him. I don't want to fail him. If he asks me, you're going to deny me? No. Never. God, I would die for you. That's who I identify with. But as I raise children, I want to raise children who identify with John, who grew up and say, man, I know that I know that I know that he loves me. I'm the one that Jesus loves. When they go out to coffee with other people, they're like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Kara was there. Faith was there. Corolla was there. And the one that Jesus loved was there. That's what I want my kids to say, right? That's who I want them to identify with. And so as we move on to John 18, they leave dinner, they pray for a bit, some of them do, and um, then they're at the garden, Judas comes, he's betrayed Jesus, the soldiers are there, Jesus is about to be taken. You know what John does? We don't really know. You know what Peter does? Pulls out his sword and cuts a dude's ear off. Come at me, bro! This is Jesus! I love him! I'll do any. I said I'd die for him. I said that I'd do anything. I'd go to jail. Let's prove it. Boom, ear on the ground. Come at me. That's Peter because he wants to show. He wants to prove. And it's not coming out of a place that's like, um, that's disingenuous. He truly loves Jesus. It co it's coming out of a motive that says, God, I love you and I'll do anything for you. So then time goes on. It gets darker and darker. It's the middle of the night. Jesus has been taken on his way to walk his passion. And um, this account tells us about John and Peter. John goes in because he knows somebody, 
We, and uh, he comes back out, gets Peter, brings him in, and they're in the courtyard of the high priest. And they're there hanging out. And someone looks at Peter, and they say, hey, you were with Jesus, weren't you? Moment of truth. And right now we see how durable, how fixed, how unfailing our love can be for him. And in this moment, Peter, who'd walked with him for three years, watched miracles in the flesh, unlike you and I, he had literally walked in the flesh with Jesus. And he says, I don't know that man. I'm not who you think I am. More truth to that. And then again, maybe an hour later, he's by the fire trying to stay warm. And somebody else, a group comes up to him. And they're like, hey, wait, 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 wait. You're, the, you're with Jesus. Nope. Not me. I'm not with him. This is the same guy. Lord, I give you my heart. Every breath. Every... No, nope. I don't know him. I don't know what you're talking about. The other accounts, the other gospels tell us he starts cussing at these guys. Christy told me I wasn't allowed to do that, even if it was authentic today. So I'm not going to. And then again, he's standing by the fire. And a relative of the come at me, bro, dude. The guy who got his ear chopped, a relative of him comes up to Peter. He's like, no, 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 no. I know. You cut Malchus's ear off. Come here. Dude, that's not me. I don't know Jesus. That's not me. And then right then he hears the rooster crow. We know the story. He denied Jesus. He went from, Lord, I give you my heart, to denying Jesus three times. Because even that level of passion, character, and love didn't fix him to Jesus. Chapter 19, as we fast forward, we see that all the disciples have fled. They're all gone. And the only ones there, and we see them gathered uh, afternoon at the cross. Jesus' mama, some of the women, come on women. They were still there. And, um, and John, the one who Jesus loved, he didn't run. He's still there at the cross with Jesus. In the morning, the one who was still there was not the one who knew how much he loved God. It was the one who knew how much God loved him. In the morning, the one who was still there was not the one who knew how much he loved God. It was the one who knew how much God loved him. There was more power. There was more staying power. There was more power to affix him to Jesus in knowing how much God loved him than there was in all the passion and love that Peter had for Jesus. I remember there's one character in this story that's the most important. Has anybody filled in the blank yet? I won't, I won't make you read it out loud. Has anybody filled it in yet? Okay, cool. We talked about John. We talked about Peter. Let's talk about you. I hope your blank was kind of short like that. Um, honest question, what are you more confident in, his love for you or your love for him? Ask yourself. Just think about it. What are you more confident in, his love for you or your love for him? Are you a Peter or a John? Both are good guys to be. It, John would end up giving like one of the greatest altar calls arguably ever known to man just a few months after this. Both are good guys to be. Which are you? Are you a Peter? Are you a John? Um, back in the time when my kids looked, I was going to give you a picture of my kids, um, but I didn't. <laughs> so you're just going to have to see them here and then Judah somewhere. But they were, at one point, now they're big and cute, but at one point they were little and really cute. And um, at bedtime every night, in fact, 
Abel, can I use your guitar for a minute? I promise I won't scratch it up, dude. Is this okay? You guys going to be all right if I grab a guitar? Are you going to walk out? You're like, oh, my gosh, this is unlike any church we've ever been to. Wait for it. Can you use this mic instead? I probably should have warned you, huh? Check one, two. Can you all hear me? Okay, here's what we're going to do. So back in those days when my kids were cute and small and little, um, now they're bigger and still cute, um, when I would tuck them in at night, wait for it, y'all are being very patient, we would um, all cuddle together, get their covers up around them, just imagine it, would you, you're in the Mears house in the Pacific Northwest on 137th, just off of Gleason, upstairs in this little duplex, yep, in a duplex, and uh, it was crowded. And all of you are just crammed into one room and just be there for a minute, just, you can just be there with the Mears family back in maybe 2000 and, I don't know, 2007, Jensen's got, Judah's got little dimples in his cheeks, can you see it? And, um, can you hear that? Okay. And uh, one of the things that we would do, Abel, you need a new strap, bro. <laughs> one of the things that we would do is I would ask my kids for three words. My goodness, Abel. I would ask my kids for any three words. And once, there we go, they would give me three words. I would just make up a song with those three words and we would sing it together. So for example, give me three words today. We'd do something like this. Help me out, come on. Broccoli, what else we got? Broccoli, ice cream, and what else? What? Oh, somebody help me, I don't wanna use protoplasm. Anybody? I don't wanna use love, because that's in my message and it sounds like I planted that. Mars? No, what did you say? Cars, okay. So I do something like this, the kids are all tucked in, we're going to bed. What are our words? Cars, ice cream, and what? And broccoli, perfect. And I'd be like, in the beginning God created the earth. Yeah. Then he unleashed a curse. We skip a few points there. It was broccoli. It's true, it's part of the curse. It was broccoli. Then Jesus came like a fresh ice cream. Is this going to be heretical? I don't know. And I'd be, I, I would just do something like that, right? He came. And maybe uh, we would talk about just the, the, this was a risk to do this. I'm just realizing this is a little risky, a little bit risky, right? Jesus came, redeemed the broccoli, right? He smothered it in ice cream, right? And then when the rapture came, there's this car that came down from heaven and rescued. Okay, my songs were never spiritual, but I would just sing something. Like we'd sing about like monkeys and camels and watermelon. Um, but doing that up here is a little different. I feel this pressure to make it about Jesus. Um, and that was what would happen in the mirror's house. And then I would say something like, not something like, I would pray exactly like this. I would pray... 
Okay, no, really, that was it. That was all of the guitar thing. But I would pray like this. I would say, um, God, I pray for my kids tonight that as, as, uh, as they grow up in you, they would be full of passion and character. That you would just fill them with passion and character. That they could be and do everything that you call them to do in the name of Jesus. And my kids would say, amen, in their cute little voices. And I believe that, and I prayed that over them almost every night because I believed, man, if my kids had passion and they had character, that combination, they could do anything. If they had the character to stand and go and fight and do and be, and then they had the passion just fueling them, man, they could do anything. And then my wife and I have walked through this journey over the last maybe four-ish years, and something happened. And independently, we both started praying a different prayer over our kids at night. And the prayer that I pray over my kids at night now sounds something like this. God, I pray that as these kids grow, that they would know you're unfailing, unstoppable, unquenchable love for them. Tell how my prayer has shifted in these last four years for my kids. And then I might say something like, hey, Jensen, you know what? Not now, I'm just telling the story. Um, I might say, hey, Jensen, you know what? You know what you could do to make me love you just a little bit more, man? He was like, oh, no. Absolutely nothing. Nothing. You know what you could do to make me love you less? Nothing. That's the message that I want to get across now to my kids. Yes, love them with your whole heart. Yes, love them with your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength. Love them with everything. Yes, do that. But more importantly... When that stuff fails, when your character is broken, when your passion is waning, when you're like Peter in the middle of the dark and you found out that everything you had and everything you said wasn't enough, that he's still there, he still loves you, he still got you. Come on. Open up to Psalm 139, if you would. Psalms chapter 139, verse 7. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me. Even if I'm in the middle of the dark in the night, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day for darkness is as light to you. See, the message of the gospel is not, don't go in the dark. The message of the gospel is not, hey, don't go to the ends of the earth. The message of the gospel isn't, stay as close as you can. Don't go too far. Don't walk too far. Don't get in the dark. The message of the gospel is no matter how far you go, no matter how dark it gets, no matter where you are, there's a God that loves you and he's right there and you can't get away from him from his love. That's the message of the gospel, and that's the transformation in that prayer over my kids. Passion fails. Character, it's broken, unless you're Jesus. But our God's love never, ever, ever fails. Come on, how many of you have filled in the blank yet? Anybody? Awesome. We've talked about Peter. We've talked about John. We've talked about you. Now I want to talk about God. Steady, unchanging, always there. See, we do this. How many young people in the room went to camp three weeks ago? 
right? Woo! Come on, I got more energy than you. How many young people went to camp? Okay, that works. How many of you got the new Bethel album, the most recent one? Right? You remember when you got back from camp or when you were at camp? Man, we're like, boom, up here, right? And you got home and your mom's like, hey, you left some dishes out before camp that you were supposed to clean up in your room. You're grounded and you're like, boom, down here, right? And then the new Bethel album comes out and we're like, oh, I love you, Jesus. He's so good. And then you go to work the next morning and you find out you got to sit next to that coworker for the next three weeks. Boom, you're down here, right? And we do this, ching, 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 ching. And our whole lives, we do this thing. Peter did it. We did it. It doesn't matter who you are. We do it. Right? God, his love, ready for it? Unchanging. Unchanging. There's not a day he wakes up that he's like, nah, Jeff, I don't know about him. There's not a day that he wakes up and he's like, nah, not really feeling the love for Arturo today. Steady. Unchanging. Doesn't matter if he messes up the paradiddle back here. God loves him. Regardless, are you with me? God loves him. He loves us. Steady, unchanging. C.S. Lewis said this. Such a simple quote, so powerful. Though our feelings come and go, his love for us does not. Though our feelings come and go, his love for us does not. It's steady, unchanging. You don't get the promotion you want? Dude, I'm in the bottom. Steady, unchanging. God's there. Marriage failing? Children struggling? He's there. Dreams unfulfilled? Doesn't change. When we're grounded in his love for us, when that's the baseline for our life, we can always come back and rest there. When we fail, we don't have to be like, oh my gosh, so buried in shame that we're somehow walking and carrying it on our own because we know that he's there loving us. I grew up in the Pacific Northwest. What? Okay, got a couple Northwesterners here too. And um, it's beautiful there. Man, it is so green. There are pine trees everywhere. It is gorgeous for the two months out of the year that the sun is shining. Oh my gosh, it's beautiful. Three months, okay. Yeah, keep me honest. Three months out of the year, it is gorgeous. And I grew up cutting down my own Christmas tree. And so every year... We would all pile into my grandpa's truck with the big doolies, and we'd go up, and we'd open up the hot chocolate and pour it out, and we'd, we'd be on inner tubes behind the four-wheelers. Like, it was such a fun time as a kid until you hit that point when your feet just freeze and your toes hurt. Any Northwesterners know that feeling? And, um, but somewhere before that point, we would see a Christmas tree across the meadow, and it would be the most perfect Christmas tree. By the way, 140 days till Christmas. And... That's right. It would be the most beautiful Christmas tree, and you could see it. You could picture it in the living room. And so we would trek through the snow across the meadow, which was always a little farther than you thought it was, and we would get there, and that 22-foot tree was beautiful. But you thought it was like eight from a distance, right? And you get there, and then you have to debate, well, if we top this tree, you know, is the ranger going to come out and bust us, um, or should we just go get a smaller tree? So as we got older, I wanted my kids to have the same experience of getting busted by the razor, ranger while topping a tree. Not, not that part, but just like going out and cutting down your own tree, you know? San Diegans, we don't really un understand what that means anymore. You know, like maybe you could cut some palm leaves off and put them in a, a little basket or something with some lights. 
or pay like 80 bucks for a little tree um, that got brought down here from Oregon, where the sun doesn't shine. So I'm not being too idealistic. Um, so we, we would take our kids, and Judah was probably five years old, biggest dimples in his cheek, and his cheeks looked like they were just about to explode. They were like so packed, this kid. Um, he's wearing his, his coat and like all ready to go, and we go out there, and he's got the saw, and we just go to this little this little lot where they let, or this farm where they let you cut it down. And he's cutting down, you know, and he's working. And how many know a five-year-old's not going to cut down a tree with a trunk that big, you know? But he's doing it, and he knows he's doing great. And then I'm on the other side, you know, working it. And at some point, we meet towards the middle-ish, you know, like an inch from his side. Sorry, sorry, Judah, he's not in here to defend himself. And then we, we pick this thing up. We pick up this Christmas tree, and we carry it back to the car. How many have seen a Christmas tree carried by a grown man and a five-year-old boy? You know how this works, right? Grown man is near the middle of the Christmas tree. Little boy is in the back feeling like the strongest kid in the world. Just like, right? Holding like the, 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 just the very tip where the star is going to go. Just like, yeah. Look at me, dad. I'm so strong. Look at me. Look what I can do. You know, looking at his dad carrying this thing. Muscles bulging, obviously. Just like, if I could only, wait, if I could only be like him. Just kidding. I can do that because we all know it's not true. If I could only be like him someday, you know, this kid is so stoked to be helping out his dad and use tools and be dirty and like carrying stuff and walking through the snow. And, and I, I feel like a lot of times that's me. The reality is if that boy lets go of that tree, God's still got it. I, the dad still has it. And for us in life, some, see, Jesus said my my uh, yoke is easy and my burden is light. Why did he say that? He said it because when we're yoked to him, when he's on the other side of the tree, it's as light as it needs to be. If there's a moment where you're just like, I don't have any power, I don't have any strength, well, it's in our weakness that he's made strong. It's in those moments that he's like, hey, I can carry the child and the tree. I'm God, right? He can do it. And so when we run out of strength, when we run out of energy, when we fail, He's got us. He's got us. John got this band. You guys can come up. John got this. And it kept him anchored and close to Jesus in the dark. John understood this. He understood God's got me. He loves me. He loves me infinitely more than I could ever love him. Peter, Peter might not have got it, but guess what? God still had him. God still had him. Peter would go on to, to do incredible work for the rest of his life until the day that he was martyred for Christ. God still had him. The point is not whether you're a John or a Peter. Either way, his love for you is unstoppable. He's got you. Come on. He's got you. I want to do this as we close. I'm not going to do an altar call today. Uh, I believe this word should be for every person in the building, not the one person that's like, that puts up their hand. Today, this is for all of us. He loves you. He loves you. And as the band begins to play, and I'm going to rush them, even though I know they have to plug stuff in. Um, I want to read through Romans 8, chapter 38 through the end of the chapter. And if you just want to close your eyes, this is for you today. And it's talking about how much he loves you. 
and specifically about what can separate you from the love of God. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, not the present nor the future, or any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate you from the love of God that's in Christ our Lord. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels or demons, nor the present or the future, or any powers, neither height or depth or anything else in all of creation can separate you from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. Our Lord, God, I thank you that you love us so much. I thank you for a gospel that's not about our effort, our goodness, but it's about your undying love for us, that you demonstrated your love for us while we were still sinners, while we were incapable of love. You loved us, God. I thank you. I pray for every person in this room, the Peters and the Johns and those that don't even fit on that spectrum, God, those who, who've grown up their whole life just saying, God, I want to prove my love to you. But God, in this moment, they would know that you love them so much, steady, unfailing, unchanging. God, we love you. We thank you for all you've done. In the name of Jesus, everybody said, amen.